You're listening to Family Life at Cornerstone. A weekly devotion about what is going on in the life of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. I'm Justin Wheeler. I'm the preaching pastor for Cornerstone. And I'm here with Cody Hickman again. He is our minister for music. And we're discussing uh, a theology of worship. We talked about this a little bit last week, developing an understanding of a theology of worship and how that plays itself out in the life of the church. And uh, as we were discussing, I, I got to thinking about my own experience with worship within the church and something that we would describe as the worship wars. Cody, is that a term that you're familiar with? Very. Okay, so you, you've been through this. Do you have some good stories to tell us about worship wars, or are they bad stories to tell us about worship wars? They're, they're bad stories. <laughs> <laughs> they're bad stories. I think, I think many of us that have grown up in the church or spent some time around the church over the last 30 years have some stories about the worship wars. Um, help me know how that kind of started with you. I mean, what did that look like? Was it... Was it a group within the church? Was it just a big shift on the part of the leadership of the church? Uh, what what created the the war within your experience? It was it was very much two two distinct groups which are roughly represented in the church at large. One of them thinking that traditional, uh, more solemn assemblies is the only way to go. Yeah. And that the hymns are the only music that are to be sung. It's it's kind of looking back. And the other group was um, kind of more of an experiential group, more of a uh, looking at worship, more of a celebratory time, um, which was looking forward to all the modern music. And they thought the hymns were dated. Um, they didn't properly produce the right emotions or responses in. And people that they thought well anyway at least the way that it fleshed itself out and the environment that I was in was mutually exclusive and were not compatible in any way together those worship wars have been going on for years and in many ways that it's somewhat silent right now that it's not so much it's not a hot-button issue even though the discussion about worship is still happening at a theological level churches have just kind of adopted a model that allows for different worship services, right? You've seen this, where you've got, you know, at at 9 o'clock you've got the traditional service, and then at at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock you've got the contemporary service. In some cases you have the blended services. And so the debate uh, really, it it didn't resolve the issues. It just had one group of people on one side, another group of people on another side, and and churches just kind of continue on. Even though I, I would say that in many ways that issue just brought about a great amount of disunity within the life of the church. So I didn't experience this in the same way you did. I wasn't in music ministry. I just experienced it really thinking through it, mainly as a student of theology. And in Baptist life, I wanted to know, okay, why do we do what we do, right? I mean, why are we a traditional church or why are we not? And in my mind, the first thing to do in that is to go back to our old statements of faith, some of our are Baptist confessions that discuss the role of worship in the life of the church. And I found an interesting trend. I found that in our oldest uh, Baptist confessions, like the 1689 Confession of Faith, there is a, a lot of information in here on the doctrine of worship. I mean, there are eight different articles, uh, different paragraphs, if you will, explaining the role of worship, uh, how Scripture informs worship, 
um, how worship is to be done, and even the elements that are to be uh, be part of our corporate worship, from you know the singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to prayer uh, to confession and the reading of scripture and preaching and all these different things. And that's that's back in 1689. So the Second London Confession of Faith. Now. I learned also that if you go forward a little bit and you look at some of the more the more modern confessions of faith in Baptist life, that they're not as robust. The the in, in information about a, that that formed the theology of worship has changed. So in the 1742 Philadelphia Confessions and even the New Hampshire Confessions, there's a, a, a limiting, a minimizing of that information. In 1833, um, the, you get another. Baptist confession and information is lacking. In 1925, when we go into the the age of the Baptist confessions of faith, we don't even see an entire article on corporate worship or just worship in general. It's it's minimized and it's put into the Lord's Day. And the same thing in the 1963 and the 2000. And so what I saw as contributing to this worship war within Baptist life was a diminishment of theology. Uh, so I think that has a huge impact on what we do. Theology is meant to be guiding and shaping and forming how we live. So it's it's knowledge that comes out of our understanding of God and His Word that's going to fuel the way we live. And when that knowledge is absent, well, we're just going to live whatever way we want to. We're going to live based on tradition or we're going to live, like you, you mentioned earlier, just based on um, whatever is contemporary and whatever whatever makes us feel good. So I think a big part of the worship wars that we've seen over the last 30 years and that are continuing today are largely the result of a vacuum left by a lack of doxology, a lack of a doctrine of worship. Mm-hmm. But there's probably some other things. Like you said, the, the consumer mindset has, has come in as well. So <clears throat> with that being said, a, a lack of focus on real good theology or lack of focus on what the Bible actually teaches about worship. I want to read a passage of Scripture that's very f- common to us. Um, it's Romans chapter 12, and, and this is in response to the gospel. The Apostle Paul tells the, us as believers this, I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he goes on and he tells us not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so if I could summarize and paraphrase what what Paul is saying here, is that he's telling us that based on our understanding of and reception of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we now have a responsibility to live with our entire lives, our entire bodies as a service, as, as being offered up as a spiritual form of worship. And we are to be transformed by the renewal of our mind, transformed by the Word of God ever working and growing in us. So sometimes when we read that passage, we think about, okay, I'm supposed to offer up my body as, uh, as worship, as a sacrifice of worship. Maybe that could help us understand a little bit about um, the role of worship in the life of the individual believer. Can you tell us anything about that? As we said the last time we were together, um, that worship is an all-of-life ordeal. And that's because whenever God you know, calls us to himself and redeems us, uh, he becomes Lord. Right. 
you know, in a, in a very real way, of course, he always is that. But also, as we were talking earlier, we seem to think that that worship is kind of a, a once-a-week thing. Mm-hmm. And part of that, I think, is just some confusion. And maybe, to a certain extent, it could be argued it maybe just kind of a, a lingering of a false dichotomy in the sacred and secular type thing. Okay. We think that worship only happens whenever we're reading our Bible or whenever we're singing hymns or we're ne- even sometimes just even when we go to church. Um, but just in line with the passage you just read, we know that's not true. But. Yeah, but there is an aspect of our lives that's corporate. There's two ways in which we as uh, as the people of God understand worship in our lives. One is very much an individual thing, mm-hmm. and the other is very much a corporate thing. Now, help us understand what what does private and individual worship look like? I mean, does that mean that, that I'm supposed to go home and, you know, turn on my, my headphones and my podcast of, you know, the Gettys and, and sit in my private closet and, and sing praises to God? I mean, is that is that what that's all about? In a way, it does mean that, but not by itself. Not exclusively. Not okay, exclusively. good. All right. So so I, I don't have to come home and create a worship service at home, right? I think that's why it's helpful maybe even, you know, to think of it in a almost a 1 Corinthians 10, 31 kind of way. That whatever we do, we're to do everything to the glory of God. Right, yeah. Um, you know, we can even go to a lot of the, you know, the more practical aspects of Paul's letters. You know, whenever we consider going to our jobs every day or whatever a task we are doing, you know, Paul says not only to serve their your, their masters, you know, almost just as some flippant thing that, you know, the gospel doesn't also penetrate. He says, right. no, serve them as unto the Lord, as unto the Lord yeah. with a sincere heart. So that means that, you know, even in our, you know, the things that we would consider just mundane, uh, routine, um, even non-important things that we do in our every life, no, those are important to God. And that's because God doesn't just redeem part of you. He redeems the whole person, and He calls the entire person to serve Him in all aspects of life. There's no aspect of life in which we are simply free to, you know, lead to our own whim. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that we don't have freedom in the Lord to do certain things. That's not what's intended at all, but we're not free to just do it for its own sake or if, as if there's not a vertical dimension to every action we do. Yeah. So so in a sense what you're saying is that now everything we do is to be undergirded by our love for the Lord and our, our understanding of what He's done to save us through Christ. And Absolutely. Uh, so what, like I said, whether we eat or whether we drink, the job that we go to, the way that we conduct ourselves with our children or with our spouse or with our neighbors or with our friends or our coworkers, all of the, all of that aspect of our lives is now to be offered up as a worship to God, which means that God is supposed to be fueling and, and engaging and motivating, and His Word is supposed to be fueling and engaging and motivating uh, all those actions. But there are some things that we can do individually in that, that we would consider worshipful, singing uh, and, and reading the scriptures and various things. And we do those things both individually and corporately. So while, while corporate, I mean, individual worship doesn't just mean we come home and we create a worship environment uh, of singing and, and those kind of things. That can very much be a part of what we do and should be, right? I mean, we, we have somewhat of a responsibility as, as men, uh, as husbands, and as fathers to lead our families in worship. That's 
that's not just singing, right? So worship is not just defined as the songs we sing. It's, it's the whole service of our lives in devotion to Christ. Um, it is sad, too, that in certain circles it has been reduced to that. But. Yeah, well, sure. I mean, it, that, that's one of the easiest connotations we have. When we think worship, we automatically think singing. Music. Right, and and that's not that's exactly what we're talking about here. We're we're trying to say no. The scriptures is opening the door on all of life as being a sacrifice of worship. So, but in those individual elements, help us help me to understand what you think would be very beneficial for us to be actively doing. Right, because he said uh, in his definition, Carson mentioned that these worship that manifests itself in this way is both adoration and action. So what are some maybe the actions that we can do as an individual that are worshipful, but also that will help us and, and get us prepared for a corporate worship environment? I'll quote the very simple response from an old hymn, Trust and Obey. Trust and Obey. Yeah. <laughs> There's no other way to be happy. No, um, that very much is, is true. We can go to Hebrews 11, too, that if we're, or 11, 6, I say, that whatever we do... For God, that's going to be pleasing to Him. There has to be a faith aspect, mm-hmm. which faith is putting a trust in Him that is not merely an assent in the mind, but is a heart conviction, and that's going to play itself out. I mean, in the way you live your life, the way you think your thoughts, the way you do everything in your day, and that's why I keep coming back to why I think just um, responding in obedience to the Word of God in all the practical matters is incredibly important because it's not only serving your witness in the world, but it is your proper heart response to God is, you know, doing everything heartily as unto the Lord. Um, you know, that's where worship really plugs into there. So you can be sitting at your desk, you know, at work and, you know, doing your job. You need to realize that you're also worshiping the Lord there when you're at home with your family, um, when you're you know, being a good husband, a good father, and things like that, yeah, that's also an aspect of your worship. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just as far as just the practical matters of life as well, things that we do in corporate worship, when done, can also and should be done privately in our homes as well. We should regularly be devoting ourselves, you know, in our personal lives to prayer, to the reading of Scripture, to, you know, even in our homes, the teaching of Scripture. Right. Um, and striving through that to, you know, greater understanding and greater knowledge and greater obedience and greater satisfaction in the Word. Because um, something undoubtedly we'll get to probably here within this discussion is how big the the connection is, especially in moving towards true worship, the connection between the head and the heart, mm-hmm. which is often neglected and um I think one thing we need to understand is that that is a both-and relationship. Oh, sure. It's not an either-or. Right. Uh, Yeah, adoration and action, uh, focus and revelation response. Theology, doxology. Uh, Right. (laughs) What we're doing in trying to understand the heart and mind of God is meant to motivate us in in life, not not just not just give us something to think about, but to promote a, a way of living and a way of doing. So, so you would see all of life is as a worship unto the Lord, as offering our bodies as a, as a living sacrifice. That's what that means, that all of life is now lived with a mind that is being 
guided by uh, and a life that's being guided by God and His Word. But also, there there are elements of our, what we do corporately that that are healthy for us to do privately, mm-hmm. like even singing songs together with our family or personally, um, reading Scripture, obviously, private devotion to the Word of God or an individual devotion to the Word of God, uh, praying. Uh, teaching, all of the elements that we do when we gather together, those are elements that should be seen in the home. And, and I just have an image in my mind that if, if all believers, let's just take Cornerstone for instance, if all of us as members of the church at Cornerstone are actively engaging with the Word, um, both individually and as a family, we're, we're all sharing what we're learning. Uh, maybe as parents we're um, addressing some issues within our children's lives or even within our relationship and we're letting the Word of God speak into that and that leads us to confession of sin and wrongdoing and repentance and now we're being comforted by the Word. Um, If our hearts are being warmed, so to speak, and our lives are being warmed by worship, when we gather together, corporate worship, it's just like bringing all these these lit fires together and letting letting it burn together for the glory of God. So, I would see, and maybe you can speak to this, I would see that out, what we do as individuals in our walk with the Lord, in our service of worship to God, is really going to have a huge impact on what we do corporately and what our corporate gatherings look like. What do you think about that? Oh, I'd, <laughs> I think um, it certainly has an impact on our, on our corporate life. Um, I think our corporate life and what is thrives and also... I'll say to a certain extent, feels that that passion and fulfills what it ought to be when we meet together to a certain extent or maybe to the extent of how we're fleshing those things out in our individual lives before we get there. Because undoubtedly, as in our as in our lives, when in our private lives and when we gather together, we're always going to be getting from each other the overflow of the heart. Yeah. And if we're not, you know, maintaining that during the week and, you know, treating you know, our, you know, again, incorrectly dividing our lives up between Sunday morning and every other day of the week, then our, when we meet corporately, and even what we do corporately, whether on Sunday or outside of Sunday, undoubtedly is going to be, it's going to suffer. Yeah. Um, or it's going to thrive, depending on which way it goes. But yeah, so, so individual worship is really priming the pump for what we do. But, but it's, it's not as though the greatest expression of our worship is corporate expression, right? I mean, it, it, for, for the believer, all of life is worship. But there is that, uh, that corporate gathering that is unique to everything else we do. I mean, that's one of the, one of the things that, um, that, that we look forward to. It's one of the, the things that even the church in the New Testament, right? I mean, they're, they're commanded not to forsake this gathering. This gathering is incredibly important to our lives uh, because of all the gifts that are being employed there, because of what we're doing while we're there. And so in many ways, we can see that individual investment in the scriptures and in prayer and in confession and even in singing is really getting us ready to gather with the people of God. Um, so let's talk about that corporate gathering at Cornerstone. I mean, a lot has changed, right? When when you came here, we talked about this last time, when you came here, uh, we were in a transition period and the elders were leading worship. A different man was leading worship every week. And and the, the, the order of service was 
fairly similar, right? I mean, there were certain elements that were there, but but now we've we've changed things a little bit. We've in, included some different elements. Um, tell us a little bit about the corporate worship experience. Well, I shouldn't say experience. Corporate worship <laughs> at Cornerstone, what we would just call our liturgy, and how the scriptures have really informed that. I don't feel too bad about saying experience because <laughs> it is an experience. <laughs> is. Every time we get there, it's just whether or not it's a biblical experience is what we're aiming for. That's but, a good point. Yeah. Um, in regards to the liturgy, um, at least one thing that's kind of been imp- impressed upon me, and I'll you know we'll be upfront about this. There there are multiple ways to do this, but um, as far as influences going through, I think we have one, and that's that we want to use even our service the way it's structured. Um, we want it to communicate something. Yeah, I, I think Brian Chapel's done a good job of kind of building on others and expressing that even the even the liturgy is a teaching tool and to a certain extent it's it's kind of a subtle one um especially if you're going into a new church because as he says in that book the way you worship and even the way you structure your services says something about what that church believes about god and the gospel so you're you're referring to brian chapel's book what's the title uh, christ-centered worship christ-centered worship okay that's kind of its primary focus but um, I found it very helpful, and it's been very influential in the way I've gone about uh, trying to structure our services. Yeah, so the goal of what you do um, in preparing for our corporate gathering where, where worship is taking place is uh, it's really to teach. It's, it's a teaching tool. Yes. So help us understand what you're trying to teach, right? I mean, are there different things that you're trying to teach or the different ways that you're trying to teach that? Generally, I'll say what I try to do. I do have kind of a framework that I do work in um, that pretty much applies to every Sunday. Okay. But generally, what I will try to do is, at least to a certain extent, try to follow the line of where the sermon is that Sunday. Okay. That way, we're kind of really honing in and kind of have a, I say, a, a synchronized, you know, focus as we yeah, go. There's continuity that. of themes mm-hmm. there, yeah. But one model that I I typically follow is I. I would like our service to a certain extent to reflect, and again, from one angle, we can. There's there, there's different types of liturgical styles for these kind of things, and uh, to a certain extent, I really don't think one's better than the other. But um, I, I do like this one as far as trying to follow the story of the gospel. Okay, story of the gospel. So, what's the story of the gospel? Well, at least in the way we structure our services, we and there is a historical element to this too. Um, we follow God's revelation of himself. Okay. And that we usually start with songs that are more explicitly in probably the praise category and that they're very high and exalting God and praising God and adoring God, fleshing out his attributes, probably first and primary, but, and then we kind of move from that as we behold the glory of God in kind of in an Isaiah six type fashion we then very clearly see how far, how far in our sin we've fallen short of that glory. And so we usually have a confession of sin during that time. Not all the time, but um, usually in the middle, following a scripture reading or something like that. Again, following kind of the idea of revelation and response here. But then we move very quickly from there to the works of God. And we see how he has redeemed us in Christ and typically we'll sing a song of his provision for us in Christ, um, usually centering around the atonement. Mm -hmm. 
and in which will follow from there moving back to either praise and thanking God for what he has done for us in Christ or even to a certain extent and just singing and resting satisfactorily in the completeness of his atonement on our behalf usually songs of assurance and and that usually that that's only the the half of our corporate worship liturgy after that we I'm preaching, so we, yes. we go into a time of focusing in on the Word of God. Now, is it intentional on your part? And I, I know generally, traditionally, as you know, in Baptist life, that you'll, there'll be a singing portion, a song service, if you will, prior to the preaching of the Word. Is, is that intentional? Do we need to get our minds in the right place every week before we hear God's Word preached? I personally, and I think our church finds it helpful to use the time of singing to kind of get our hearts in the right place to be able to to be more ready to receive what we're about to hear in mm-hmm. God's Word in the sermon. Um, and after that, we usually follow with a song of response to the sermon that I usually try as best as I can to kind of tailor to the message that was just preached to yeah. really bring it home. Um, does that kind of answer your question? Oh, absolutely. I think, And I think it's helpful for... Not, not only is it important for you as our minister of music to think through all these things and, and let that be what guides you in your preparation, but I think it's helpful for our people to, to begin to see some of these things so they can understand the, the trajectory, right? So when we come in on a Sunday morning and, and we've, we've gone through a time of prayer, we've gone through our, our Bible study where we spent time with, uh, with our brothers and sisters in Christ and talked about the Word, now we're coming to that time of corporate focus where we're being called into worship, right? There's that revelation portion. God speaks mm-hmm. first. I mean, that, and, and that just really comes out of our convictions. Well, we read Genesis 1, that, that into nothingness, God spoke everything, right? God spoke first. And, and when God speaks, God reveals himself to us. And so you might have a song like, you know, uh, praise to the Lord, right? We're, we're, we're singing about him. We're focusing on him and his attributes. But then as we behold God, we, we not only see things about him, but like you said, Isaiah 6, we see things about ourselves. We're reminded of our sinfulness. And in our sinfulness, we can declare that. We can, def- we can confess that because we know what Christ has done. We know that God has shown us love in his son and that he came and he died in our place to redeem us from our sin, and we have an assurance that our sins are forgiven. Mm-hmm. And so we can even confess our sins in that light. And it's it's in that lens, right? God has shown himself to us as glorious and holy, and he has revealed by extension that we are not. But he's shown us that he loves us. He sent his son to die for us, and now we are his because of Christ's work. Now that sets a tone for us when we come to the Word. And, and one of the reasons we do that is that we want our hearts to be ready but we, we also want to be reminded of the gospel so that we don't mistake uh, what we're going to do or what we're going to hear in the sermon for, for legalism, so to speak. Right? We, we know that journey to relationship with God comes through the cross. And, and so now we've come through that journey again on a Sunday morning. We're ready to receive what God has said to us. It might sting us in the fact that it's revealing more sin. Uh, it might... Uh, comfort us in that it's just re- reminding us of His grace, but but we're ready to hear it because we've come through the gospel again, and now we want to hear from God. 
And then there's that time of response where we're responding in song to what he has said to us in his word, but also there's that benediction, which is really a sending benediction. You know, now that we've heard from the word of God, now that we've experienced again the, the grace of God through these means, let's go out into the world and continue our worship mm-hmm. individually, living all of our lives as a sacrifice to him. See, I, I think that's helpful for us to know. Um, and so I, I really appreciate all the work that you do on a weekly basis. And not just you. You have a praise team around you. But, but you do that worship of thinking through um, the songs and, and thinking through how this story is not just something that's going to be told, but it's a story that we get to experience every week again and again because we need to. We need to be reminded of that gospel. Now, you do have a lot of people around you helping you out. Uh, what has it been like? Just tell us real briefly, and we'll... we'll, we'll close this thing down. What's it been like to, to serve with all those people on the praise team? In one word, uh, well, two, it's, uh, it's been humbling, but it's been incredibly encouraging and a joyful experience. I, I can't even begin to tell you what I, where, you know, I would be without these people, uh, working alongside me. And I very much consider them my, my coworkers in this. They mm-hmm. are, um, they're invaluable. Uh, I, I just feed off of their, their joy, their wisdom, their um, their willingness to to serve, and and it's just been a, it's just been such a joy getting to to serve with them, and I, I really just look forward even to our rehearsals each week because again it's it's become a really nice, just community that we get to we pray together, um, we share hard things with each other, and. Even when we're there together, we try to our best to even use that opportunity in rehearsal. Though, of course, even that preparation time toward its purpose, you know, is an act of worship itself. But, right. you know, even just allowing the songs, you know, in that time to minister to us as yeah. well. So I'm very thankful for these people. Yeah, they're, they're amazing folks, incredibly gifted people. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful that you have them around you as well. So... Man, I appreciate you coming and talking to us about worship again, talking about theology, talking about individual worship, talking about corporate worship, help, helping us kind of peek behind the veil of what takes place on a weekly basis as you're preparing us to experience the grace of God again on Sunday mornings. I really appreciate your time, brother. Thank you very much. If you guys want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. Or you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBC Wiley. You can even find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Or you can just come by and visit us any Sunday morning at Cornerstone. We'd love to have you. Thanks for listening.